This song is a cover. This was written by uh, Loggins and Messina. And um, I think this holds pretty true to the original, like tempo-wise, energy-wise. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's very close. So let's take a little bit of a listen to that. It's called Your Mama Don't Dance. I hate this song, <laughs> oh, no. but, but in all fairness, I hate the original version. I, okay. I, I think we talked about this once. I don't like songs. I, it was probably the kiss uh, album that when we were talking about that, I don't know what it means to rock and roll. Like, I don't understand. Does that just mean, what is the, the meaning of that? I get your mama don't dance. Dance is a, is a tangible thing that is defined. Rock and roll is kind of this, ethereal thing to me it doesn't it doesn't have that defined quality that that dance does um it's a great blues song it's got a great tempo musically it's great um it's really more the the lyrics of it that i i don't like but it's one of those songs that's just so catchy that you'll be i don't know in the kitchen washing a dish and it'll just like pop in your head and you'll start tapping your foot because it is so memorable but i've never i've never cared for songs like this and i remember there was one that um that Purple did on, on the cover album, Turning to Crime. I think it was, uh, I, I don't remember the title now. It was the, the one about the, oh, Rock and Roll Monia and the Boogie Woogie Flu. Mm, yeah. like, I hate those lyrics. <laughs> yeah. You know, so for me, like right off the bat, I, I think it's a great song for Poison to cover though. I think it fits right in with them. But then, you know, the word mama in the title, as opposed to like mother, uh, again, goes to that Southern sort of a flavor that's true yeah yeah what are your feelings on this one i mean i like this i mean i didn't obviously didn't know uh that this was a cover when it came out mm-hmm. because i wasn't um as i established as as musically diverse um uh, so i was just like yeah this is a great song um and i mean since then i mean i've listened to both versions of the songs i just like the song in general mm-hmm. um and um, I think that it does stay true to the original version. Um, I mean, if I wanted to hear this song, which I usually don't, I would probably seek out the the original version. Hmm. Um, but I mean, this one doesn't offend me at all. Uh, I mean, I think it's um, it's really good. I think it fits in with their their sound and what they're trying to do. And again, like you said, it's it, you could probably kind of like Southern rockify this if you wanted to, because yeah. it has that kind of twang to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's as well produced as the rest of the album. I think it, it fits in at just the right spot. I've heard some people say like, ah, you know, this, this album doesn't need this song or they did a shitty job on it. I mean, it's basically like a really faithful representation of the original. Sure. And, um, and I mean, they are kind of going along that same line of how a few years earlier, Motley Crue did, um, the uh, the Brownsville uh, station song "Smoking in the Boys' Room." Oh, oh yeah, that's yes. right, and, and, it's a, and that's a very similar song. 
Yeah, which yeah, that, and that's that was my whole point. Is, is it has that same kind of tempo? They have the same. Your mama don't dance, and you know you're smoking in the boys' room. You know it. It kind of. I feel yeah. almost like they were like, hey, Motley Crue did that. Like, what's another like early to mid seventies kind of song that we were could say we were influenced by? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, not to say. I mean, I I love the Motley Crue version of uh, smoking in the boys' room. I love this version too. I mean, and. I mean, I think too, it's like is because I grew up with them, yeah, um, knowing these versions. Um, like I said, if I had to if they came on like in in a bar or a jukebox or if it came on in a mix, I definitely wouldn't turn them off. But if I were ever to seek out these songs, then i I think I would prefer the originals because there aren't too many songs where i I would be like, yeah, this is an improvement over the original. Mm-hmm. But you can definitely say that this is more popular than the original. Like I don't think that, say, like the Motley Crew, uh, so like smoking the boys room was a big hit at least on mtv i don't know how big the original was back in like the early 70s mm-hmm. um like i don't know if it was a hit but it would definitely brought it back to you know public consciousness just like this song i'm sure did something from Loggins and messina oh yeah i would think the original so. version but and for me it's typically the version i hear first is the one that I like the most. And then even if it's the cover that I hear first, then the original feels like a cover song to me because yeah. that's not the one that I know. Uh, right. But there are times when I've been like, okay, I like the original better and the cover isn't as faithful. This one I think is a very faithful cover. I think they did a great job with it. Um, but why is it so in vogue to hate people doing cover songs? I, I don't get it. I, I You know, I just think that it's a lot of people are... Um, they they have strong feelings about the original say if they're a fan of the original mm-hmm. um or the artist or the album whatever and then you hear another band that may you know maybe is not your band or it's from a different generation or whatever and they're just like no no not my music right yeah yeah <laughs> which i'm sure that you know that's how a lot of the the uh the 70s parents probably felt about this song when it came out and that's probably how i'll feel about somebody that's trying to cover i don't know a poison song right. <laughs> this year i don't I have no idea and and when you think about it it's really funny because in the in the early days you know in the 60s somebody would write a song you know elvis would write a song and then he would give it to he would record it he would give it to two or three other guys and they would all record versions of it and it was no big deal and they all survived and, right. and succeeded but that was how it worked back then then in the in the late 60s you know or in the the you know like the motown days bands were songs were recorded and then and bands were constructed to go out and perform perform those songs right then in the late 60s you had a lot of bands were using cover songs to kind of get noticed you know uh deep purple did that a lot on the mm-hmm. first three mm-hmm. albums and a lot of other bands were doing that too and now we're like Oh, you shouldn't be doing you can write you should just do your own song it's like we've that that whole cover thing has transitioned so much in the last you know few decades it's really odd to see where it is now because i think personally like there's nothing wrong with taking making a nod to your roots or you know just taking a song that you love and just having fun with it i mean i think these days like doing it on the road doing it live is one thing but i think that seeing is, is that um um the consumption of music has changed i don't know that unless it's not a well-known song or unless you do a really good version of it you don't need that on your albums anymore because uh people don't buy whole albums like this like you bought this album and you're like 
oh, there's a there's this cover of a Loggins and Messina song on it, this old song or whatever. It's like now, like you said, I think there's a more push for everybody to be more original and yeah. people can make music in their in their house and anybody can, you know, release it on uh on iTunes or put it on Spotify, like all these smaller bands or whatever. So it's just like and and I don't think that anybody would really have the patience to sit there and listen to a to a cover song because why would you? Uh, I mean, I, I like I said, I think it's different though. Like if if they're just like, yeah, we're gonna do this this song by such and such live, then it would be like okay because then you can hear it once. And if you know you're not in it, whether you're into it or you're not into it, you're like okay, that's it. Yeah. But who's gonna sit around and like listen to a a cover of you know what I mean of uh an old song now like I, I could be way off but i mean that's kind of my opinion on it like i i mean these days i guess if a new band came out and they're just like hey we did a uh did a cover of like uh motley cruz looks that kill i'd be like why the the the, <laughs> the, the original one's just fine leave it alone <laughs> yeah I, I think that's the thing is like that's one of the reasons that i really don't do covers i'll i'll record songs just for fun you yeah. know, but I don't do covers because I don't feel I can improve on what's out there. Right. You like know? what's the where's the improvement? You yeah. know, I mean, uh, and you could you could be like, oh, well, we're going to do it in a, a different style or a different time signature. And you'd be like, no, why? Why do you have to do that? Yeah. Uh, the the <laughs> one um, obviously Christmas songs are different. Like that's the one caveat I All would right. say to that is because I, I, I will re-record a Christmas song any day. Um, I'll give you that one. But yeah. in contrast to that, right now, what's going on in the world, and I don't know you know, how long this will last, hopefully not much longer, but uh, the show Wednesday is really huge on Netflix right now. I have not seen it, but if you have an Instagram account, you cannot avoid seeing 300 videos fed over from TikTok where people are doing the, the Wednesday dance and people have put a completely different song to it. They're using a Lady Gaga song, but a cover version of a Lady Gaga song where the, the vocals are... Uh, tuned up to where they almost sound like a child and the song is sped up. It's got a little bit more of a beat to it. And mm -hmm. uh, now people are putting that to this video. And so there is a song that is going to be hugely popular cover wise, but because it's associated with a very popular character and television show and that sort of thing. So it's got and, yeah. you know, a vehicle to become and popular I, yeah. as opposed and I to think being that an album track. And I think that, yeah, exactly. And I think that's what's different now. Like I think in our Cobra Kai episodes, you talked about how they, um, they, um, they did a uh, slow version of a uh, cruel summer. Yeah. When Johnny threw his phone into the ocean, that mm -hmm. scene. Now, if that were just a standalone track, like who would really care about it? Right. But, yeah. it, but, but I thought that in, in that scene, in a show, it was used to great effect. Mm -hmm. And what I, would I go seek it out to like listen to it on uh, iTunes or something like, yeah, maybe once, but I mean, it's like, I certainly wouldn't like if that, whoever that band was that recorded it or group, like if they just put it on their album, I would have been like, eh. Right. Yeah. Without the context. Uh, yeah. In the air tonight was another one that they used at the end of one of the seasons. Um, it was uh, when Daniel and Johnny first teamed up at the end of, I think it was season two or, or whatever, and uh, they played that really chilling version of In the Air tonight to end the season. I thought, man, that is so powerful. Would I ever seek it out on iTunes? Probably not. Uh, mm -hmm. Another, so, another yeah. uh, version of that would be the soundtrack to Sucker Punch, where they took a lot of songs like, um, uh, uh, what's the one from Jefferson Airplane that they did? Uh, White Rabbit. And they did this really ethereal version of it. 
and they were uh, they were all the the tunes that they had played when the girls were in their fantasy scenes trying to complete their task, and they were in the video game, and they mm-hmm. were just doing these really amazing alternate versions of songs that that I really in general would not have enjoyed, or or if you would have said you should listen to this, I would have said no. Uh, but I I love that soundtrack. It's it's really beautifully done. So if you're going to do a cover, uh, I would say if you're going to do something that's really unique with it like that, that's fine. But like you said, without the context, the yeah, point? do it with, do it within context. Yeah. yeah, because doing it to put it on an album or to sell an album seems kind of pointless right now. Because I mean, maybe like they were maybe Poison was doing that uh, to. Uh, maybe it was part of their set mm-hmm. and they needed something to fill in the album yeah. or maybe they needed something where the producer was just like, hey, let's go back 10 or 15 years and pick a song that was that was popular that might resonate with the audience so we could push album sales like the the intent, I think, was different behind a cover, whereas like now, um, whether it's a thing or not, like you and I both agree that, um, you know, a, a cover, whether it's faithful to the original or wildly different uh, would be better with some context within like a different medium, you know? Right. Yeah. And and I agree with you, like playing it live is a big difference than recording it and putting it on your album. But how many times have we heard stories about the producer going, uh, we need one more track guys. And then they look around, they're like, well, we don't have anything written. All right, let's do a cover. Right. Yeah. Whereas like, do you really, do you really need to do that on an album these days? Yeah. I, I think, it's more of a vehicle for artists to try and do what they were doing in the late sixties, which is I'm going to throw a cover out there of a popular song and see if I can get noticed as opposed to, you know, just doing it out of necessarily a passion thing. I think it's, it's an attention grab and not that that means that they'll do a bad job on the song because I'm sure they'll put, you know, everything into it, but it seems like that's almost more, almost the only reason to do a cover is to try and capitalize and get noticed as opposed to like, I want to do this because I really love this song and I've always wanted to re-record it. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting, but in any case, uh, you know, poison did it and there it is. So that brings us to our, our last track on the song. And this, this title, I have to say, uh, right off the bat throws me off because it's the title itself is so cliche to me. It is bad to be good.
I I do like the way that they layer the vocals. I think they sound really good. If if they weren't so over affected, I think I'd like them more. But I will say, Brett sounds really good layering and harmonizing himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I actually ended up liking this track a lot. It it starts out really cool. It's got such a different vibe to it. It's yeah, it's almost yeah. like they said, okay, we've done enough of the formulated sounding stuff. Let's just write a fun song. And I, I feel like this is a lot more natural than the others. Well, that that whole beginning part sounds like that. What's that? What's that? That musical where they all are like they're ready. They're they're going to fight somebody, and they're all snap fighting or whatever. What was the? Oh, are you talking you know? about uh, West Side Story? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's all I could think of during the beginning is when he's singing, and they, they you know because it sounds like. He's like, when well, nah, the cat, something, something. And I just picture like these guys in a leather jacket, like snapping in unison and like walking down an alley. <laughs> like, like, I feel like they were thinking of the West Side Story when they were doing that opening. Right. But um, yeah. but yeah, I always thought that it was a really cool and different opening mm-hmm. um, for uh, the, the last song on the album. Like, yeah, let's let's take a chance or do something different. And then the rest of it was just this kind of really, you know, kind of a heavy uh type of song mm-hmm. um although like the um uh, i i don't know what the lyrics are offhand or i don't remember them but a bad to be good i'm sure is um oh yeah. you know probably something something along the same lines of it probably has to do with something to do with sex i don't know right yeah exactly uh and and apart from that uh i i really like the song it, it kind of it made me feel like I see a lot of potential in this band if they were to take this song and go in this direction for the next album I think it would be a killer album because this doesn't it doesn't feel as forced to me as the other songs did, where it's like it doesn't really feel like the formula. It doesn't feel like the okay, we have to do this. I have to make sounds at the beginning of it. I have to do this or or that. It just feels like they just sat down and played a song and and wrote it together and had fun with it as opposed to the way that the impression I get from the other ones. And that's just me Um, may not be that way at all, but it feels a lot more relaxed and just let's just kick back and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a, a, a different kind of song for them. I think this is, we've kind of come full circle. It was like the, the party album. And mm-hmm. like you said, the, the songwriting sounds like it kind of uh, progressed a little bit as much as it could with these four guys. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think that uh, overall, I like the album. I'm really glad that I, I listened to it. Thank you very much for the suggestion. Um, I I would probably check out another album of theirs after this experience. And this is cool because, I mean, if you think about it, like I said, in 88, when I figured out who these guys were, no, you know what? I take it back. It must've been, I think it was the summer I graduated. So it would have been 90 when I first heard talk, talk dirty to me. Yeah. Um, Maybe I had seen the video uh, for one of the other songs first. I I honestly don't remember now, but that was the first time I, I really found out who they were. Uh, but in any case, like I said, I, I wrote them off pretty much right away. And I I think it's fine that I did that at the time because I wouldn't have been accepting of what they were trying to do. For me to go back and listen now as a more experienced music listener and you know somebody who has a little more knowledge of music, I can look back at it now and enjoy it more than I had then because I wasn't as open-minded. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that... Um that's kind of true for a lot of people, including me. I've said that a bunch of times is like um, being, being open-minded as I've gotten older has definitely helped with that. 
For sure. Yeah. And and I don't know if it works that way with everyone or or the majority of people, because I think I would have expected that the older I got, the more closed off I would be and the less willing to give things. It's like I've, I've got my things that make me happy when I go to the restaurant or order this. I want to make sure I have a good experience every time. So I always order the same meal. You know, I would yeah. have thought I would have grown more in that direction and been more closed off than started opening up and going, let me check that out. I didn't like it before, but maybe I will now. Well, I'm a, I'm a little from column A, a little from column B. So <laughs> I guess I thought I would be more crotchety by now. You know? Oh, no, I think um, I think as we get older, we all we all get crotchety. But I, I think at least in our in our circle, we we do open up to other things or we have opened up to other things. Like, I think if you look at the point where where we're at now and then you look back, you kind of think like, oh, okay, like over the course of time, I've been more open-minded than I thought I would have been. Yeah. At least that's how I think about it for myself. Um, we'll we'll see how, what the rest of 2023 brings <laughs> well, <laughs> but I, for me. I think the biggest the biggest fear that I had was becoming like, you know, my grandparents when the Beatles came out. Oh, those, oh, those yeah. hippies with their hair. And, you know, I never wanted to be that kind of person. I always thought my generation would would, because we've been through so many changes, you know, we've seen everything from rock and disco and punk to, you know, to glam and, and British New Wave. And we've seen so many different things come and go. I would have thought that we would never be that way. And and when I uh-huh. when I noticed in the 90s, like the parachute pants and, and the, you know, the, when the glam music was coming out in the late 80s, I thought, oh, my God, I'm starting to get that way. And I wasn't <laughs> even that old yet. <laughs> you know? No, I think you just had your preferences. So, you know, I'm I'm definitely... I mean, I think we all do, but I think I'm definitely more that way now. Like, I think I might have said the other day, like, ah, it's not music. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I can't call that music. That's a bunch of that's a bunch of noise. I, I will say that I identify a lot less with current music than I have music during other generations or other periods of time. And I, I, I don't. I hope it's not that I'm really becoming that person, but I don't I don't hate it. I'm not complaining about it. I'm only saying I can't get into it. And I think that's the difference is maybe I'm just more open or more uh, optimistic about it and less yeah. aggressive. You know, I'm not well, I'm not condemning it just because I don't enjoy it. I mean, uh, I, I don't know what I think. It, I, I mean, I'm not sure what it is, but I mean, my my guess is that you know, uh, depending on what kind of music you're talking about, like if you're talking about maybe, uh, I mean, let's just say like music made by people half our age right now, anything, anything right now that the, like the energy they're putting out, the themes that they're putting in their lyrics, like maybe the musicians that they're influenced by, which I mean, at this point would be some of the musicians that we like, but we're influenced by other people that we liked, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, who, who even knows? Maybe that doesn't, connect with us as much because the music isn't really being made for us. If that makes any sense. Like I could see like, you know, a 20, 23 year old really identifying with another 23 year old making music. And it's not to say it's impossible for us to be like, yeah, that's good or whatever. But I would, I would think it would be a stretch for me to like identify where they're coming from, or maybe some of the themes they're singing about if they're current to like right now, like some, like every rose has its thorn should be able to appeal to anybody. Like, I mean, if you, if you just like put those lyrics in front of somebody half our age now, like there's, how's, how could they not understand it? 
right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because we've all lived it at least once, if not multiple times or known people, you know, we've been right. with friends who have gone through it. I think part of it too, for me, is that I feel like a lot of music today is here's how we write a song that we can potentially break through on iTunes, or here's how we can write a song that'll get licensed into a film as opposed to, you know, our bands from the seventies that were, here's what we wrote. Right. You know, we enjoyed it. Hopefully the fans will. I mean, how many times have you heard Ian Gillen say, we never wrote for the fans. We we wrote what we liked. We enjoyed playing it. We enjoyed writing it. And hopefully people will latch on to that. But we've never gone out of our way, except for Black Knight, because they were told to, you know, oh, just go write a hit, you know, because that's how it works. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which still awesome song, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, but they, they were, there's a difference, I think, in the honesty that I feel in a lot of music today. I feel a lot of it is, is geared up to be played for strategic purposes, as opposed to I'm writing from my heart. Once you've broken through, then you can do whatever you want. But even if you take somebody like Taylor Swift, there's a reason that so many songs of hers become hits because they hit all those bullet points and if that's her natural way of writing, that's great. But I feel like there's a producer sitting on her shoulder going, okay, but you have to do this and you have to have that and you have to have this. Otherwise we can't play it on the radio. Right. Or, you know, it's not going to be a big hit on, on, you know, streaming services or whatever. So I, I, I think that's the turnoff to me is I don't feel as much honesty in, in the music of today that I do from the bands that we grew up with. Yeah. And I mean, um, Hey, that that could be true, or that could just be us being crotchety old men. Exactly. Yeah, it's so hard <laughs> to tell where that line is anymore. So, uh, but, before you know. we wrap up, you've got some good things coming up. You're actually going to get to uh, to see Purple next month here in February. They're coming uh, to you, uh, only to your area of the country, and then down <laughs> south to do another uh, cruise tour. Yeah, which, which should be a lot of fun. There, there's no uh, other dates in the states at this point, but. Fingers are still crossed. How does it feel yeah. like going to see them on stage after you've met them and like sat down and talked to them? I mean, it, it was last time it was pretty cool because we uh, we saw them two two separate shows. And the first one we had met Roger the first night or the fir- the, the afternoon of the first night they played. And it was just I, I wouldn't say it was weird, but it was just really cool to just be like, hey, we just had lunch with this guy that we have known and admired like for years. And then now there he is up on stage and it just kind of was like, cool that it's like, Hey, we, you know, we met him. We kind of know him now. Yeah. And it was, it was just like, um, it, it was just that kind of perspective on it. Not like, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was just, it was, it was, um, yeah, that's the only way I can put it. It was just a really kind of a, a, a cool feeling. You know, I guess when you get to this age too, it's just like an experience of, um, just meeting people and then they're up on stage and they're just, they're still just people. Yeah. Well, and, you know? and not only that, but you're sitting there having lunch with one of the top selling artists in music history. You know, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of albums they've sold by this point, but it's like a completely ridiculous number to think yeah. that you've created things that that many people were interested in. So, you know, I, I, I always wonder from their perspective, too, like, OK, so I just met these guys. We better have a good show tonight because I'm going to feel really bad if they flew all the way down to Florida and, you know, and, and then we don't have a good night. Like, I, I always wonder from their perspective, too, what, what it's like. Um, but that's that's awesome that you guys, you know, you got to meet him and you got to meet uh, Ian Pace. 
hung out with him a little bit. Um, you didn't meet Steve, though, or did you? I, I don't think you met Steve, did you? No, we didn't. We and we saw Don Airy yeah. the night that we that we um, and I mean we interviewed him before, but we yeah. um, we saw him in the bar where Ian Pace was, but he was kind of uh, setting himself apart because that was still, you know, the the first. You know, COVID was still a thing, you know, everybody yeah. was still a little apprehensive to be like around each other without masks type of thing. And there was their first shows out yeah. um, um, since then. Yeah. And um, even later on, like we had seen, well, the thing was, is we had had lunch with Roger. And then after the show, we had drinks with them in the bar um, and a bunch of other people. And I remember he was asking everybody around. He was like, what did you guys think? Was it a good first night? You don't have to lie. You don't have to lie to me just because I'm me. And we're like, no, it's freaking incredible. (laughs) But I mean, I guess that just kind of shows you like, you know, how they were feeling was, is like, even after all these albums, all these years, he was still like turning to these guys that like, I mean, some of them, I think he's met before. um, And he's known before, like, um, you know, uh, Rich, obviously, and some other people that were there that have seen them many times, but basically, like, well, what'd you guys think? What'd you guys think? And I'm like, is he really asking us this? Like, but, you know, we're, we're all still, like I said before, we're all still people. Mm-hmm. And we all still want everybody to have a good time and to put on a great performance if you're a performer or have a good night if you're out for a night so but he but um, he, but he asked you with genuine interest and not like oh yeah you know like oh, i probably should ask or you know obligated no no, to, no yeah no absolutely yeah just like you know one of the most genuine people i've met you know so yeah and that and when i met him that was absolutely the impression that i got from him was that he's a very uh forgive the 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 term but down-to-earth person you know really down-to-earth uh, and when when I interviewed Graham, nerdy rainbow joke, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you know when when I interviewed uh, Graham Bonnet and and when I you know when I was at Graham's house and we talked about Roger, he has nothing but high, the highest esteem for Roger, and uh, you know we, learning all the stuff that they went through recording the vocals for Down to Earth the, the Down to Earth album and just just he says to this day he's one of the greatest people I know, and yeah. I and I can absolutely believe that just in the twenty five minutes or so I spent with Roger. You just get such a vibe from the guy that he's he's like a, an incredibly successful rock star, but he's also a guy that you would have dinner with. You know, you just right. hang out with him and have a beer or two and talk, you know, just chat, uh, mm-hmm. which I, I feel is very rare. I, I feel that a, a lot of people feel that they have to hold up to a certain persona or, you know, what when they're in the green room, they, they know there's fans there, so they got to do this or be that way or whatever it is. And I feel like Roger's just who Roger is. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's that way with like certain other bands, depending on like who, what the genre is or even yeah. who the celebrity is or the mm-hmm. musician. But it's like, I, I don't know. I never got the impression from, uh, from those guys. Uh, they were never that type of band. So it's, um, you know, I'm happy to say that they were exactly as we'd hoped they'd be when we met, when we uh, met them. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, if you think about it, when they, when they first, when Mark II first got together, they said, if we don't feel like smiling, we're not smiling in the photo. We're going to be whoever we are <laughs> in that moment. And I love that, you know, and that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of being rock and roll, right? That's, you know, being that yeah. rebel and, you know, however rock and roll would be defined as a musician. But uh, yeah, a, a great band and uh, I'm really enjoying your show. So guys, check out John and his uh, co-host Nathan on the Deep Purple podcast. The links are, as always, in the show notes. 
John, thanks so much for coming and uh, reviewing this album with me. I had a great time listening to it. Definitely opened up my eyes to the band a little bit and uh, really got to enjoy some music I'd never heard before. Yeah, me too. This was, um, it's always great to revisit an album I haven't heard in a while. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. And that's one thing I love about doing this show is I, you know, I, there's albums that are just staples that even though I, I know them backwards and forwards, I don't sit down and listen to music a whole lot anymore. So yeah. it gives me a chance to kind of revisit and then share my love of that music with people. So uh, thank cool. you. I can't wait for whatever we choose to do next. I'm sure there's lots of fun yeah. coming. We've got, we've got quite too. a list of shows to do. Oh, God, I know. I hope we get to do the next one we're talking about soon. We're going to make that happen one way or another. <laughs> but uh, you take care. Have a great time at the show. Uh, love to the guys if you get to talk to them again. And uh, have a great time on uh, doing another show. Still have not missed one single episode in uh, three plus years on the Deep Purple podcast. And every show for me has just been a gem, regardless of whatever thing that you end up reviewing. <laughs> sometimes they're great albums and sometimes they're warhorse. <laughs> but that makes it even more fun when we hate something exactly or well, when i hate something I don't... <laughs> yeah it, it's always nice like when you hate it and nate doesn't it, it's always interesting <laughs> to see the the conversation yeah. between you guys but that's yeah that's just what makes it music fun yeah so, all right guys thank you for for joining us we will see you in the uh the next show of course this is uh like two hours now so this will be like our cobra kai episode will be broken up into about four parts uh, strewn Yikes. over the weeks and uh, by then, I'll have probably been on your show again. <laughs> yes. So good times are coming. Thanks, John. For Take sure. care, and uh, we'll we'll do this again. Okay. Cheers. Cheers.